us go into the house of the Lord. I'm Pastor Michael Lilienthal. We're nearing the end of the Lenten season. We come now to uh, the the last Sunday before Holy Week, uh, the fifth Sunday in Lent. Uh, there, there are properly six Sundays in the Lenten season, but next week, as we'll hear, is uh, Palm Sunday, which kicks off Holy Week. I'll talk a little bit more about what that means when we come to it. But uh, for today, we're still looking at uh, the, the fifth Sunday in Lent before we get to Holy Week itself. Uh, and this, this fifth Sunday in Lent, as we've been going through all of the, the various um, uh, Latin names for these Sundays, uh, today is known as Judica or Utica, if, uh, depending on how you pronounce your Latin, whether um, tr- uh, historically uh, the, the way Latin was pronounced or, or it, according to church Latin, the way church Latin is pronounced. But uh, yes, J-U-D-I-C-A. Uh, and the introit uh, that uh, brings that word to us uh, is, Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. Deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill. So that um, idea of the the judica, you can kind of hear that judge idea in there. Bring justice. Vindicate me. So judge me innocent is kind of what we're going for. Um, Judge in my favor is is what the intro is saying with that vindicate me. Plead my cause against an ungodly nation. Uh, we're, We're looking again at the struggles that we face in our life on earth. Uh, and here we're looking at uh, the idea of enemies around us. Uh, they're, they're, they're the three big enemies that we like to talk about, uh, the devil, the world, and our own sinful flesh. Uh, the, the last one is especially the, the enemy that's within us. The first two, the devil and the world, are the enemies around us. And that's what we're kind of looking at here, uh, is the, the devil and the world who are attacking us, especially looking at the, the, the idea of the devil, Satan, uh, which means adversary. Uh, he's kind of the um, prosecutor in our court case, Satan is. And uh, so he stands accusing us of all of our, our sins, all of our wrongs, which of course, you know, we would have to admit, yes, we, we've done those things. But how can we then claim uh, or how can we then plead in this court case that God would vindicate us, that God would judge us to be right and the devil to be wrong. Well, and it's it's based uh, upon this this light and truth that God sends out um, that can also lead us, bring us to the holy hill. You know, again, we've got that journey idea. We're on our way to that sanctuary. That light that comes to us is exactly the light of Jesus Christ and the gospel that he has, he has accomplished for us. We can be judged rightly because Jesus has made the sacrifice for our sins. Jesus has accomplished our atonement. All of our sins are on him and they are dead and buried. So Jesus is you know, our defense attorney, but more than that, he's the one who takes our place in, in the punishment. So when the devil tries again to accuse us, we can say confidently, God vindicate me. Prove that I'm innocent because in Christ Jesus, we are. We are absolutely innocent. Looking at the collect for the day, it's collect number 48 on page 153 in the Evangelical Lutheran Hymnary. We beseech you, Almighty God, mercifully to look upon your people, that by your great goodness they may be governed and preserved evermore in both body and soul through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one true God, now and forever. Amen. That seems on the surface to be a a fairly simple and straightforward collect. Uh, that God would just, you know, preserve us, uh, but uh, it's it's based on this great goodness of God, uh, that mercy of God, that because he has had mercy on us in Jesus Christ, he will preserve us. He will uh, 
give us his goodness uh, and and govern us that way in body and soul. That's that's a key idea here too. That Jesus didn't come just to win spirit, uh, just to win our our souls for heaven. He came to win us, us, the whole human person. Um, interestingly, in Hebrew, the word for soul is nephesh, but soul is um, not a perfect translation. Nephesh can mean self, can mean person, can mean all of me. <laughs> nephesh is, is a, a living entity, a, a living human entity, especially. Uh, and so the, the, that Jesus saves our souls means that Jesus saves us. That points to the, the resurrection as well, that uh, on the last day our bodies will rise to be reunited with our spirit or soul uh, so that we are all together preserved by God. That's what Jesus came to accomplish. He won our complete preservation, uh, our complete salvation. All right, let's look at the, the readings for, for the day, for Lent 5. The epistle lesson first is Hebrews 9, 11 through 15. But when Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things that were coming, he went through the greater and more complete tent, which was not made by human hands, that is, it is not part of this creation. He entered once into the most holy place and obtained eternal redemption, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. Now if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who were unclean sanctifies them so that their flesh is clean, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciences from dead works so that we worship the living God? For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant. A death took place as payment for the trespasses committed under the first covenant so that those who are called would receive the promised eternal inheritance. I love that epistle to the Hebrews. Um, and uh, how clearly it expounds the uh, the work that Christ did uh, as uh, the the well the perfect priest and the perfect sacrifice and the perfect temple that Jesus fulfills all of that Old Testament worship. Uh, it's it's really great to look at the Epistle to the Hebrews and compare it to um, the Torah, for example. Read the the books of Exodus and Leviticus, especially, and some of uh, Numbers and Deuteronomy as well. Um, well, even Genesis, but I'm not talking about that right now. Uh, that, that's, a, that's a whole other research paper uh, <laughs> off to the side. But um, the, the, the way the, this, this letter puts it, Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. When we look at the Old Covenant, the Old Testament worship, uh, the, the blood of goats and calves and, and bulls, uh, and the ashes of a heifer, all those things were, were offered to make atonement for individuals. But Jesus shed his blood the blood of God himself. Uh, and so he is the perfect sacrifice once for all. Uh, and therefore, he's the mediator of a new covenant as well, because he not only died, but he rose again. So he's he's the priest that lives forever as well. I, I can only kind of summarize what the epistle to the Hebrews says, really to, to explain what this uh, passage is talking about. Just read the whole epistle to the Hebrews, and it, it puts it all out there very clearly. Um, but the idea, once again, is that because Jesus paid for our sins, paid for our purification and our cleansing, uh, we have that perfect cleansing because Jesus is still alive. And therefore, we can worship in truth and purity. That's something Jesus said uh, to um, the, the woman at the, at the well uh, in, his, in his ministry. Uh, I forget which chapter uh, that, that's from in the Gospels. But um, uh, she was uh, a, um, oh, what was... Uh, one of, one of the, the sects off, uh, that wasn't exactly Israel, but they were kind of intermarried. <sighs> I can't remember. I'm, I'm, I'm doing poor, uh, a poor testament to my uh, biblical knowledge here. I'm, I'm kind of failing on it. But anyway, um, 
she and her her people uh, taught that uh, because Jacob had built this this altar on this mountain out here, uh, Bethel, um, where uh, he saw the 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 ladder with uh, the the angels ascending and descending on it. They thought that that's where you would worship God, while the people of Israel taught that you worshipped in Jerusalem, in the temple that was built there. So that was kind of a, a debate about where to worship, and Jesus said, well, the time is coming, you won't worship God on this mountain or in Jerusalem, but you'll the true worshippers of God will worship him in spirit and in truth. And that's what this epistle to the Hebrews is getting at, because Jesus purified us and cleansed us from all of our sins, we can worship God in truth. And so that, again, ties to this whole Lenten journey we're processing in from the narthex of the Gesema season, from being back out in outside uh, the, the, the sanctuary. We're walking through the sanctuary now and approaching that holy place. When we get to Good Friday, we're going to see that curtain to the Holy of Holies completely torn apart so that we can get access to God so that we can worship him in truth. And so as we journey on this Lenten season, we always have our eyes toward the fulfillment there. That when Jesus rose from the dead, he proved that that tearing of the curtain wasn't an accident, but it was a miracle showing that we do have life before God. And so that Holy of Holies is now our open tomb as well, where we go and we have our eternal life. We're journeying toward that eternal resurrection life that we have so that we can worship God in truth and purity and to get a picture of what that looks like read the book of Revelation uh, of uh, what uh, what the saints and angels in heaven are doing before God and what the new Jerusalem looks like how we'll be able to see God perfectly uh, as he shines his light on us for eternal life uh, it's a it's a beautiful picture and so that's what this this is getting at. going on then to the gospel lesson it's from John chapter 8 verses 46 through 59 Jesus said, Who of you can convict me of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God listens to what God says. The reason you do not listen is that you do not belong to God. The Jews responded, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon. On the contrary, I honor my father, and you dishonor me. I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Amen, amen, I tell you, if anyone holds on to my word... He will certainly never see death. So the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say, If anyone holds on to my word, he will certainly never taste death. You are not greater than our father Abraham, are you? He died, and the prophets died. Who do you think you are? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, about whom you say he is our God. Yet you do not really know him, but I do know him. If I said I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I hold on to his word. Your father Abraham was glad that he would see my day. He saw it and rejoiced. The Jews replied, You aren't even fifty years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Amen, amen, I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. Then they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus was hidden and left the temple area. So we get a hint at the end of this this text that's very important that this was uh, happening in the temple area. You know, if we read the from earlier in the chapter, uh, we would have seen Jesus in that temple area anyway. But now it's important to to see that that's where Jesus is talking about this because he is that perfect high priest, uh, and he is the Messiah, and he is God. Is that um, that statement he says before Abraham was born, I am. The Evangelical Heritage Version translates that very deliberately that way because in the Greek it does say ego eimi, ego eimi, two words in Greek 
Uh, and like many classical languages that way, you can say I am with one word, with the verb, a me, means I am. But by adding the pronoun I, or ego in Greek, it intensifies that terminology. So I am. And what that should sound like to us, uh, especially if we've been paying attention to uh, the Old Testament lesson that we've been going through with this lectionary, uh, how God introduced himself to Moses from the burning bush was, I am. Tell the people of Israel, I am has sent me. Jesus is claiming right here to be God, the very God who appeared to Moses, as well as the God who made these promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's why he says before Abraham was born, I am. He is the everlasting and eternal God. Going back to the beginning of John's gospel, uh, it, uh, John writes that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then going on, the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Um, that uh, That's Jesus, the Son of God, is God from eternity, but he is the person of the Godhead who put on human flesh. And why he put on that human flesh is in order to come and humble himself so that God would seek his glory. That's a really interesting feature here, that he's not seeking his own glory. He is focused on humbling himself, on being that perfect humble sacrifice. It's God the Father who is seeking his glory by using Jesus' work, Jesus' act of obedience in his perfect life, uh, and then his sacrificial death, using that to serve as the perfect sacrifice for the sins of the world, so that God would then be able to glorify him through the resurrection and in that resurrection, tie believers to him so that we have that life and are able to worship God in truth. And if we worship God in truth, we are glorifying Jesus Christ. It's all tied together, uh, which should go without saying when we're talking about the Bible. Uh, it's all tied together. It's perfect. Uh, the, the Jews here are, are getting all up in arms and getting defensive about Jesus um, and, and about what Jesus is saying. They, they started out in, in a little bit of support of him early on. Uh, at least in, in some of these chapters here. But here, um, they're objecting to the way Jesus is talking about them, as though what they have doesn't count, what they have isn't worthwhile. Um, they're talking about the Old Covenant. You know, we have our father as Abraham. And uh, Jesus is saying, well, your your genetics don't matter. That's that's not what saves you. Uh, just like the, the, the blood of, of bulls and goats doesn't save. That all points to something else. It all points to the fulfillment in Christ. Is it somewhere in 1 Corinthians where Paul says all the promises of God are fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes? I can't remember the exact reference for that, but uh, Jesus himself also uh, earlier in uh, John chapter 5 would say, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. They testify about me. That's what it's all about. The sacrifices, the temple, the priests, Abraham, all of it points to Christ, points to Jesus and the fulfillment in him. Uh, he is the perfection of all of these things. He is the one who would sacrifice himself in order to bring life to us because he is God in the flesh. That's, that's what it all comes down to. All right, now the Old Testament lesson for Lent 5, Exodus 34, verses 29 through 35. This isn't quite the end of Exodus for our time uh, in, in the Old Testament lectionary, um, on uh, Maundy Thursday, we'll be looking at uh, the, the Passover a little bit. Um, but, uh, but it's, for all intents and purposes, uh, really the, the, the last section of Exodus that we'll get to. We'll, we'll backtrack a little bit later on. But uh, we're coming now to the end of the book of Exodus, uh, as, as we're coming now to the end of, of Lent. But Exodus 
Chapter 34, verses 29 through 35. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not realize that the skin of his face was shining because he had been speaking with the Lord. When Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, they were amazed that the skin of his face was shining, so they were afraid to come close to him. Moses called to them, so Aaron and all the rulers of the company of the community returned to him and Moses spoke to them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came close to him, and he gave them all of the commands that the Lord had spoken to him on Mount Sinai. When Moses was finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out again. Then he would come out and tell the people of Israel what he had been commanded. Whenever the people of Israel saw Moses' face, they would see that the skin of Moses' face was shining. Then Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with the Lord again. All about Moses' shining face. Uh, a little bit of uh, interesting history here. If you look at some uh, old, I think, Renaissance, uh, especially sculptures, maybe some paintings too, there's uh, sometimes uh, depicting Moses with some horns on his head. Uh, and that was just a mistranslation uh, of, of the text here. They thought that uh, Moses came down with horns on his face. Uh, but no, Moses came down with light shining from his face. Uh, the skin of his face was shining. Um, and that uh, this should reflect back to transfiguration again. Jesus had a shining face, uh, but he had shining clothes as well. And Jesus' shining was of himself. That glory, that light came out of Jesus himself. What Moses has here is a reflection. And that's very key to understand uh, that Moses then is, is the imprint of, uh, of God's glory, whereas Jesus is himself that glory. Uh, this is where we talk about typology. That's a, a term, I, I might have talked about types and anti-types in other episodes here, but it's a very key thing to understand here. The term type is used, and anti-type, is used in scripture only a handful of times, uh, but uh, we can sometimes see types outside of what scripture depicts. And think of type in terms of a typewriter. It's related specifically to that type. Think of a type as, as a stamp. When a typewriter works, you push the button and then this, this tiny little stamp on a leg or an arm springs up and presses itself onto the paper. And what you see is a letter on the paper. So what you see on the letter is the type. It's been typed there. But the anti-type is that little stamp on a spring. There's probably a technical term for that, but that that's the anti-type. That's the source. That's the real thing that uh, creates this imprint on the page. Uh, and so when we, when we think of typology in scripture, we're looking at imprints that point to the reality outside of them. So what we see in Moses here is the imprint. He is the type of Christ. I don't mean a kind of type, but a type, a typed imprint of the reality that is Christ. That means he points to Christ. He is shining with God's glory in a reflection, in, in, in a way that is a reflection. Uh, but Jesus is himself that glory, as I said. Uh, so when Moses comes down and brings these uh, commandments, the tablets of the testimony, this is, of course, the second set of tablets uh, that were made. The first ones he broke just two chapters prior, but now he had to go up and, and write these words himself. Um, the first set God wrote. Uh, God wrote those tablets uh, with his finger. Um, but now Moses writes the tablets by uh, God's dictation uh, and brings them down uh, because the first ones were, were broken. So the people needed someone to intercede for them, needed someone to put the law in its right place for them. And Moses, again, is serving as a type in that way. 
where Jesus is actually the one who did fulfill the law. Jesus kept it perfectly. Jesus put the word, put the law uh, down permanently. Um, I, I think uh, somewhere in, in Jesus speaking, he said something uh, along the lines of, um, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Uh, I know I'm paraphrasing that for sure, but uh, that's, that's what Jesus is getting at here. He didn't come to do away with it as though it doesn't apply anymore. But what we see is that it's been fulfilled in him. He has kept it perfectly. So we don't need to keep it for our salvation. It's been kept for us. Uh, and this, this terror of the glory that uh, Moses had to keep his, his face hidden with this veil. We're looking again uh, in just, just over a week, just under two weeks, we're going to come to that text that points out that the temple curtain was torn in two, that veil in the temple was torn so that we are able to have access to God's glory. This glory that's even reflected in Moses is terrifying to the people of Israel. And he comes as a lawgiver. He comes as, as one who is telling them, you must do this, you must keep this. So of course it's terrifying. But when Jesus comes and fulfills all of that, it's, we, we have access to God's glory in a new way, in a way that it's, it's a shining of, of warmth. It's a shining like the burning uh, fire in the bush that does not consume it, but instead delivers God and his word to us. Uh, so that's, that's what we see in Christ as he, is make, as he makes this perfect sacrifice, as he keeps the law perfectly. We have access to God's glory in a way that brings us blessings from God. That's, that's what this, uh, this text is, is looking at for its fulfillment. I want to look at uh, some of the hymns for the day. The chief hymn is hymn number 284 which is Go to Dark Gethsemane. Go to dark Gethsemane, ye that feel the tempter's power, your Redeemer's conflict see, watch with him one bitter hour, turn not from his griefs away, learn of Jesus Christ to pray. Um, it's a, it's a, a text from... Um, uh, I can't remember exactly when uh, Montgomery wrote this, but uh, it's either the late 18th or early 19th century that uh, this was, was written. It's a fairly recent hymn as far as hymnody is in church, but it, uh, it does a beautiful job of tracing uh, the passion of Christ. Uh, and all the way, all the way to Easter, we've still got our eyes fixed on Easter. In the fourth verse, it says, Christ is risen, he meets our eyes. Uh, and the last line of each of these uh, treats Jesus as an example, which there's there's a right way to do that. There's a wrong way to do that, where we see Jesus as only an example for right living. But Jesus is, of course, so much more. He is that um, perfect sacrifice uh, for our sins, uh, taking our place. Um, but this last line of each one, uh, learn of Jesus Christ to pray. So we, we follow Jesus in proper worship. Uh, then learn of him to bear the cross, which is also worship. We're following Christ now, uh, and we're bearing our crosses in Lent. We're focused on the fact that we're bearing these crosses in Lent. Then learn of Jesus Christ to die. As we, as we walk through this journey of Lent, we should see ourselves in Christ's shoes, uh, suffering with him, praying with him, dying with him. And then the last verse, Savior, teach us so to rise so that uh, we see ourselves tied to the resurrection of Christ as well. So that's the, the um, uh, chief hymn of the day. I want to look at uh, some of the other hymns that uh, are for, appointed for the, the fifth Sunday in Lent. 
uh, to see how some of these might be famil familiar to uh, the people of our saviors. And uh, what I'm seeing is not a single one is actually listed as a familiar one. I'm going to see if any of them might be uh, easy for for us to, to sing here. Um, uh, and, and some that would be appropriate for us to sing as well. So I'll take a moment to look through. Okay, there is one uh, that does look like uh, it should be easy to sing. It doesn't have the uh, the tune printed with it, but the, the suggested tune is a familiar uh, tune. It's uh, the tune to hymn number 90, Savior of the Nations, come. Uh, the, the meter is 7777, seven, seven, and this is hymn number 274, When Our Heads Are Bowed With Woe. When our heads are bowed with woe, when our bitter tears o'erflow, when we mourn the loss, the dear Jesus, Son of Mary, hear. Um, and that uh, refrain is repeated each verse, Jesus, Son of Mary, hear. Um, that we're, we're praying, we're calling out to him for his, his defense, for his comfort, uh, for his, uh, his uh, strength. Uh, and through all of it, too, we also are, are pointing out what he has done. Uh, for us, that he died for us, uh, and that he he bore uh, our our guilt, our pain, our our sin, uh, and so because of that, we ask him for his mercy and his grace and his strength. Uh, so it's a six verse hymn, but I'm going to divide it three and three. So uh, we're following right one again for this Sunday, um, and right one uh, uh, will have four four hymns: the opening hymn, the chief hymn. Uh, the hymn following the offering, and then the closing hymn. So this will be the last two hymns. Uh, we'll do the verses 1 through 3 for the, the hymn following the offering, and then 4 through 6 for the closing hymn. Uh, then last for the opening hymn, I am going to choose an invocation hymn. And there's one that we haven't really sung, but it's uh, it's one that I have been told is familiar. Uh, and it's 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 going to suit us really well this Sunday, and that's hymn number 12. Come thou almighty King, help us thy name to sing, help us to praise. Father all glorious, or all victorious, come and reign over us, ancient of days. Um, especially these uh, these verses call to Jesus to, to come and enable us to praise God, uh, come and uh, give us strength, come to give us protection. Uh, there's uh, verse 2 says, from all our foes defend, nor let us fall, which ties right into that idea of the introit, uh, and even the collect uh, too. Um, we talk about the incarnate word, um, the and to, to come and bless. Uh, we, we call for the, um, uh, the ability to see God's glory in here as well. Uh, let us let us witness God's glory in the in the last verse. Um, so it's it's going to suit very well as an opening hymn to to give us uh, an introduction to the the message and the the mood and the meaning of the day. Hymn number twelve. Last, I want to look at the the hymn of the day. The hymn appointed for the fifth Sunday in Lent is Psalm number forty three, which is available uh, in the hymnary, and that's on page one eighty in the front part. It's just five verses, so it's very easy, and it's also the the psalm from which the uh, intro is taken. So it begins, "Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. O oh, deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man." Uh, and as we go on, um, we uh, there's a bit of a complaint psalm idea in here. 
Uh, but then the, the last bit says, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. So the theme of all of this tied together gets to the idea that, yes, we're, we're in difficulty and danger now, but we know that God saves us, God gives us his redemption, and because of that, we're, we're made able to praise God. And that's the real comfort that we have in all of this. So that is the uh, service for the fifth Sunday in Lent. Uh, looking forward to hearing of the redemption of God as we're, we're, we're drawing so close uh, to that holy week that'll, that'll come up next week. Uh, and we're going to take that in just a handful of episodes. I'll, I'll talk about um, Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday, Maundy Thursday, and Good Friday all in the same episode. Uh, and then the, the, the three Easter services, Easter Vigil, uh, on Saturday night after sundown, uh, then Easter dawn and Easter day, uh, all of those three in one episode as well, because uh, these services are tied very intimately t uh, together uh, with this whole idea. But uh, once we get there, we'll 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 talk about that. So please uh, get in touch uh, and ask questions if you've got them, or, or give some feedback. Let me know uh, what thoughts you have. If I might have missed something, or if you remember those uh, those Bible passages, those references, or the names of things that I couldn't remember, <laughs> go ahead and share those. Uh, show me what I missed. Uh, you can find this show on tapsterradio.org/lordshouse. Uh, my church, Our Saviors Lutheran Church in Albert Lee. You can find uh, our website, oursaviorsels.com, and you. You can find me on Twitter at M-G-L-I-L-I-E-N-T-H-A-L. So until we meet again, peace be within you. Obscurantism and obfuscation. Orally observed, gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. Obviated objects of oblivion. Obambulating about. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. In the Tapestry Radio Network. Tapestryradio.org. From our fancy to yours.